So if you have your Bible electronic devices, you can turn with me, <coughs> excuse me, uh, to Jonah chapter 12. It's going to take me a few minutes to get there. Uh, and, and then remember, we started this series, which I, I told you was like a four-week series through Jonah. And we're going to take a chapter a, a week, weekend, and we're going to trudge through it. And we'll do it in four weekends because there's four chapters in Jonah. And so th- this, last, this last week... God really impressed upon me to, to add an extra sermon in there. And so now it's a five-week sermon, okay? And so next week, we're going to look at, just in case you're wondering, we're going to look at Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 and 3, when Jonah deals with this issue of, of how do we love our enemies? How do we treat our, our enemies? And I just, I just think God has something for us in there. And so, so now it's a five-week series. And so to, to the series of the message, or the message series is Never Say Never. And the title of the message is It's Never Too Late. And so if you were with us last weekend, you know that Jonah chapter 3, or Jonah chapter 2, uh, Jonah had this, this prayer of gratitude that God had rescued him, that Jonah realized, you know what, it's never too late. It's never too late to repent. It's never too late to change. And, and so Jonah realized that. And so Jonah had like this prayer of gratitude. He was, he was grateful that, that God rescued him. He was grateful that God didn't allow him to drown. He was grateful that God saved him even though he, he didn't deserve it. And so there's really big there's really a benefit for us to coming back to the point of our rescue, for us to remember that point, that time in our life when God saved us, when God rescued us, because there should be a sense of gratitude. There should be a sense of gratitude in our life, what God has done for us and that he saved us. And so Jonah was his spokesperson for God, and God had given him an assignment. He had given him an assignment to go to Nineveh, uh, which was like this great city. It was, it was, it was, it was a, uh, the great city, the capital city of the, the city that the Israelites hated the most. And so uh, Jonah refused to go because Jonah, you know what Jonah thought? Jonah thought it was too late for them. In other words, Jonah looked down on them because he thought their sins were worse than his sins. He thought the grace of God wouldn't extend to them. And as a result of that, he thought it was too, it was too late for them. If, if we're not careful, we can develop that attitude with someone else or even with, with a person or a group of people. Is there someone in your life that you believe doesn't deserve God's grace or God's forgiveness? Someone who has hurt you or someone who has, who has hurt you deeply, that it would, it would, it would bother you. That, it, that if all of a sudden they repented, all of a sudden God showed his grace on them, or is there, is there a group of people that you really believe that does not deserve the grace of God, and if God showed them grace, it would offend you, it would hurt you? Well, th- this was Jonah. And so Jonah runs from God. And Jonah would rather be 2,500 miles outside of the will of God instead of 500 miles inside of the will of God. And as a result of that, Jonah goes to Joppa, gets on a boat, sails uh, uh, as far away from Nineveh as he can get, hoping that he could escape from the Lord. And so what we're going to learn today, tonight, is this, is disobedience in life never works. It, It was a monumental waste of time. For Jonah to disobey God. And it's a monumental waste of time for us to disobey God. Why? Because God will continue bringing circumstances and storms into our life until, until we change. And so God brought the fury of the storm into Jonah's life. Eventually the sailors threw him overboard and then God rescued him. And, and it, it seems really harsh, but God was using that storm and he was using the sailors to so, so save Jonah. And as Jonah is sinking, is, is sinking and, and fighting for his life, God ar- arranges a whale to swallow him, not for his punishment, but for his rescue to save Jonah. And so Jonah is in the fish, and he has this opportunity to r- reflect on life. Isn't that what crisis does for a lot of time? 
Is it in the crisis of life that we begin to reflect on our life? It gives us an opportunity to reflect on our life. That's why Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes is sometimes it's better for us to go to a funeral than to a party. Because when you go to a party, there's, there's drinking and dancing, and, and, but it's, it's just kind of superficial and it's done. But there's something about a funeral that causes us to reflect on our life. There's something about crisis in our life <coughs> that causes us to reflect on our life. And so, so Jonah reflects on his life. Jonah chapter 2, verse 10, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. Wouldn't it have been easier if Jonah had obeyed God the first time? I wonder if Jonah had ever had those thoughts or ever had those, those feelings that what if, what if I could go back? What if I could go back? If I could go back, I would do things differently. And Jonah comes up from the deep, and he has a close encounter with death, and he's now on a beach where Jonah learns to make fire, and he makes friends with a volleyball named Wilson. <laughs> See how I worked that in? <laughs> Listen, when you run from God... You never make progress. Many times churches spend all of their time telling us what to run from, from instead of what to run to. That if we just simply learn to run to God, we won't do the things we shouldn't do. Jonah chapter 1 verse 13, it says it's so interesting if we understand the context before we look at it too. Nevertheless, the men rode hard back to, to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more tempestuous against them. Well, it's an interesting statement that says the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. This indicates they were still close to the start, starting point. Whenever you or I disobey God, we don't make much progress. And so it indicates that they're still close to the port. They're still close to Joppa. And then, then looking at God's instructions to Jonah a second time indicates that he's right back where he started. Listen, running from God is never productive productive. Running for God is draining. Running from God is always exhausting. Jonah chapter 3 verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. That's my favorite verse in the book of Jonah. It came to him a second time. See, the book of Jonah, even though the title of the book is Jonah, the book of Jonah is not about Jonah. It's really a book about, about God, that God's the God of a, of a second chance and a third chance in his grace. I mean, that's, that's one of the reasons that I, that I, that I love gol golf is because, and I love God too, I, I mean, but <laughs> golf God, you know, it's just one letter off. And so uh, it's because in golf, like just this last week, I, 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 I hit a house and, and it was loud. And so my buddy says, hey, just take a mulligan. I love mulligans. That means you get a do-over. It's like, it's like the shot never happened. It's like getting a second chance with a golf ball. And it, listen, a, a mulligan and a round of golf, it can change everything. But getting a do-over, a second chance in your life can change your life. It's one thing to bail someone out or enable someone or to forgive someone, but it is a totally different deal altogether to give someone another shot at something they failed at. Has, ever, has anyone ever given you a second chance? Have you ever given someone else a second chance once they failed? Listen, I'm going to tell a story, and you veterans, some of you know this story. It's been, it's been, it's been according to my records, it's been five years since I've told this story. 
Uh, when, when we came here in 1995, it was my first time to preach. I preached June of 1995 over in Ron Colley, wherever that is. That's that, what, that, geographically challenged, thank you. And so I, I preached at Ron Colley, and uh, Dr. Kurt Dodd was our founding pastor, and he had written a bunch of books, TV ministry, radio ministry, is a gifted communicator. I'd never preached before. I'd done ministry, a lot of different ministry, but I'd never preached before, and so I, ha- I had to preach behind him. And so that, that was intimidating to me. And so I, I thought that we would, I thought I should start this, the, 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 uh, the sermon off with some humor because I feel like I, I have some strength there and I have some confidence there. It comes natural to me. And so I, I preached, the, the text was Acts chapter 10. Uh, the title of the message, it went something like this, is learning to overcome rejection. And then it just so happened to work out that the Cowboys are playing the Broncos that afternoon. And so I says, hey, the reason I chose this text and this title and this sermon is so you Bronco fans will be able to put it in practice this afternoon when the Cowboys beat the Broncos. And so I thought that'd be funny. People booed. Tim Cody stood up and said, stone him. And, and <laughs> the sermon had peaked out. I mean, from then on, that, I mean, it had peaked out. It was coming downhill fast. And so I was nervous. Uh, I, it was awkward. It was horrible. Some of you in this room, you were there. You know, I am not exaggerating. So we had a medical doctor that went to our church at the time. Uh, he's since retired, no longer practicing medicine. He lives in Florida now. He came up to me after the sermon. He says, hey, I, I just got to tell you, you had some really, really great things to share. You had some really great things to share, but the only problem was is you were so nervous, you made us nervous. Uh, we're just Now we're pulling for you. We're just hoping you get through it. And so we had to work really hard to understand what you're saying. But he said, don't give up. You had some really good things to say. And I said, yeah, I'll work through the nerves. He goes, well, I, I think I should help you. And I said, really? He said, yeah, would you swing by my office on Monday? I'll make you, I'll write out a little prescription for you, and then you can go get it filled. And so next time you preach, just one, two hours before you preach, uh, take this little pill. He said, you're going to be loosey-goosey. You're not going to care if the whole city of Pueblo turns out. I mean, you're going to be relaxed. And I says, well, what are we talking about? He says, we're talking about a Valium. Yeah. I'm like, if I start, if I start doing drugs to preach, I think I'll get fired. I mean, (laughs) I can't do that. And he got angry. He goes, what do you mean you can't do that? I said, I can't do that. He said, you can't do that? You won't do it. I said, I won't do it. And he goes, well, you're one of the most selfish people I know. Either you're going to have to take the pill or we're going to have to take the pill. And it's <laughs> somebody's going to have to take the pill. Because if you're not going to take the pill, we're going to have to be medicated to get through it. So it would be easier if you would just take the pill. <laughs> That's a true story. And you know what? I'm so thankful because that, that next week when Dr. Dodd got in town, he called me into his office, and then that was in the days of cassette tapes. Uh, it'd be like a podcast for the younger people. <laughs> he said, you know, get your cassette tape and your recorder. Come in my office, and we'll play it together, and I'll give you some tips. And I, I'm like, I don't even know if I want to do this. He goes, well, when I get done with you, you probably, you probably don't want to do this. And, uh, but you know what, I'm so thankful that he worked with me. I'm so thankful that he, that he gave me a second chance. Sometimes when we fail, sometimes when we blow it, we need a second chance, right? See, the book of Jonah is really not about Jonah. The book of Jonah is really about a God, a God of a second chance and a third chance 
and a fourth chance. I'm willing to bet many of us are here tonight because God's word came to us a second time. Because God gave us a second chance. Here's the most incredible thing about this. When you look at it, God's word never changes. He tells Jonah the same thing after the storm that he told him before the storm. He said, Jonah, you're not disqualified for ministry. Jonah experienced repentance, and God is a God of a second chance. And now he's just saying, preach that message of repentance. And some of you in this room, you may feel like, you know what, I, I've blown it so bad. I could never be a ministry partner. I could never serve in ministry. But it's not your righteousness. It's God's forgiveness and God's righteousness that qualifies you. You see, God is a God in the business of character development. God is in the leadership development business. He is, he is patient and he is kind and he is always shaping. He is always molding so that we can become greater people. And a lot of times God uses our circumstances and God uses our storms in our life to like shape us. And I found that God is a God of multiple chances. So the only way we fail, we fail when we don't get back up. And I'm so grateful that God refuses to give up on us. Listen, God doesn't change Jonah's assignment, which is so amazing. He still has the same task. Verse 2, arise, go to Nineveh. This is exactly what he told him before the storm. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, called out against it, it, the message that I tell you. And so God, is not going, going, so God is not going to Jonah. You know what? I think I made a mistake. Should I had Jeremiah do that? Would have been much better if I had, a, had Joel do that. You know what God says? Jonah, you're still the man. Jonah, my word does not change. The calling of God and the gifts of God are irrevocable, what Romans tells us. Jonah, you're still the man, verse 3. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. All of a sudden, you see this repentance. He becomes obedience. Remember, when he, he ran 2,500 miles away, that was disobedience. He was living not according to the word of God. Now Jonah told difference. The word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Uh, listen, let me tell you something. Prayer, just real, prayer is critical in the Christian life. But it can't end there. Your actions matter. See, Jonah didn't stop with just prayer. Jonah didn't stop with just say, God, I'm sorry, I'll repent. He changed his direction. Some say, you know, I'm praying about this storm, and I'm asking the storm to let up. I'm, I'm, I'm telling God I'm sorry, but the question is, what are you doing? Repentance is this, is change of mind that leads to a change of direction. In other words, all of a sudden, Jonah was turned away from Nineveh. He prays. It doesn't end there. And now he turns back towards Nineveh. That's the picture of, listen, you're going to see the picture of repentance two different ways as it relates to Jonah and as it relates to the people of, of, of Nineveh. And so that now many people hear, hear God's word. And today many people hear God's word and say, you know what? I'll stop. I'll change. They may pray a prayer in, in, a, in a quiet time or whether life journaling or in a church service. But if, you, you're, if your actions never change, that's partial repentance. That's partial obedience. fact is, the Bible would not even call that repentance. And some people go through storms in life. Jonah went through a storm in life that he did not need to. 
but it was because of his disobedience. And the storms of your life and the storms of my life are to teach us something. They teach us, one of the things, you know what they teach us? They teach us the importance of being obedient to God in every area of his word. And Nineveh was a large city, it was a great city, it was a wealthy city with a history of godlessness and a total disregard for God. In other words, they, they believed in many gods. So when Jonah rolled into town and he saw many coexist bumper stickers on the, cha- on the back of the chariots, can you imagine how Jonah felt? A patriot who loved Israel in this capital city, the most hated enemy of theirs, and it stood for everything that Jonah hated and everything that he was against. And Jonah's probably thinking, you know what, I'll do it. I'm going to preach this message, but they're going to reject me. They're not going to accept the message. They're going to make fun of me. But here goes, verse 4. Jonah began to go into the city, go on a day's journey and called out. So here, here's the sermon. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's a simple word, a simple message. Simple sermon. Eight words in English and five words in Hebrew. That's the total sermon. Don't get any ideas. <laughs> I actually, just real quickly, uh, this is just for free. Don't know if I'll tell it in all the services, but you're first. We'll see. That's why some of you come to this service, right? And say, hey, we, we want the uncut stuff, right? Roger Barrier is a, a man that I know, a pastor in Arizona. He's retired now. Mega church at Casa, Odo, Casa Odobe Church in, in Arizona. God gave him a word while he was preparing for a sermon. Mega church, thousands go to his church. And he said, I want you to preach a one-sentence uh, sermon. And I don't want you to tell the worship pastor. I don't want you to tell anybody. I, I don't want you to tell anybody. I just want you to get up and deliver it. And the message, the sentence was this. says, says, men and women, if we don't change our ways, if we don't repent, God will no longer bless us. He closed his Bible. He walked down the center aisle and closed the door on his way out. As Roger would put it, chaos broke out in the worship center and chaos broke out in his office because he was panicked. And God used that in that church, and that's part of their history about what God did in their church through that one-sentence message. So Jonah has preached a one-sentence message. Uh, Jeremiah 23, 28 tells us about prophets. He says that the prophet, prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has, what has straw in common with wheat declares the Lord. It's not my word like fire declares the Lord and like a hammer that breaks rocks into pieces. In other words, what, what he's saying is it's God's word is life-changing. What makes a message life-changing? That's why I have so much scripture in my messages. What makes a message life-changing is not my jokes and not my stories. None of that. What makes a message life-changing is God's word. That's it. That's what changes hearts. The, the Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of the Lord is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. How many times have you heard a message or, or, or scripture read or, or been life journaling? And it's like that verse just cuts you to your soul. It just cuts you to your heart. And you knew you had to change. You knew you had to make a change. You knew you had to do something different. That's what this is talking about. 
And so Jonah is asked to give God's message, and it was God's message and not his message. It was a difficult message to give. It's that, maybe we could relate it this way, it's that, it's that difficult talk that maybe you've had to have with someone. I'm talking about those times that you've had to have a, a loving but truthful conversation when you've had to dig really deep in relationships and draw some boundaries and tell someone you're, you're not going to continue to do that. You're not going to continue to hurt me like that anymore. Or maybe you've had to tell someone, I forgive you. Have you ever run from God when he asked you to do something that was difficult? Truth without love is brutal. Truth with grace is a gift. And sometimes the, 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 the plain truth is the most loving thing a friend can do for someone. It happened in King David's life, right? Remember the story when King David had an affair and word got out and there were rumors and people were talking about it? It was only one man that was willing to go to David. His name was Nathan. And Nathan went to him and he spoke the truth, but the truth was wrapped with, with love. And he spoke into to King David's heart and he spoke into his life and he said, David, you're, you're the man. And, and all of a sudden you, you, you see a change in David's life. All of a sudden, he got his life back on track. And the, the Bible is full of invitations to people to turn back to God and start walking with him. Again, Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 says, In the days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And so this is a hard and unpopular message to tell people to repent and turn away from sin and turn towards God. And, and very few people want to hear that. And very p- few people are receptive to a message like that. But the really good news is this, is there is, a, there is a God who loves you and a God who desires to rescue you and a God who desires to save you. And I hope truth is always wrapped in grace in my preaching. And I'm not, I'm not certain... When you just look at the Hebrew, you look at the English, you look at this message that Jonah preached, I'm not certain, certain how gently Joseph's, or Jonah's message was, but I know this, people responded. It's really the steps of repentance. Watch this, verse 5. He said, and the people of, of Nineveh believed God. There's the first step. We'll walk back through this. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. So in other words, all of a sudden... Five-word message, eight-word message in English. I mean, everybody responds. Everybody repents. And, and so, you know, and so it shows us, like, like Jonah says, God's grace shouldn't reach them, and they won't change. And, and that just tells us, never say never that someone will not change. Never say never that someone will not accept Christ. Never say never that someone will not change their life. See, Jonah was that guy that says, I'm not going to go there because guess what? I believe their sins are so great. I believe their sins are worse than mine. They're going to reject me. They're going to kill me. They're not going to accept me. In other words, Jonah was one of those guys saying never. They're never going to change. Never say never. We have some people in our church that people have said never about them. And God did something in their life and now they're serving and now they're following him it also tells us that guess what it is never too late 
It is never too late to repent. It is never too late to change. You just see this in the story, but you see the steps of repentance. The first one is this, is there's, there's an inward, something happens inward. There's an inward change. It says the Ninevites believe God. In other words, they, they put their trust in God. They're, they're not putting their trust in a man. They're not putting their trust in Jonah. They're putting their trust in, in God. And so the first step, but it cannot stay there. It cannot stay just inward. That's what we talked about repentance. It's prayer and action. I mean, it's prayer and then change in direction. The same with this. It's, it's inward. And so, but it can't stay there. And then watch this. Then the second step was, it was articulated. It says they called for it. In other words, they all made it known that they were returning to God. They all made it known that they were changing their life. They all made it known that they were turning to God in, in, in fast and in fasting. And we don't have time to explain that. That had deep meaning. It had deep public meaning. It was just real quickly, it was like a public profession of faith. It was like evidence that they had changed. Uh, in other words, it was this. They were saying, we're not ashamed to follow him. We're not ashamed to call ourselves God followers. The Ninevites, the people that Jonah said would never change. There's something, there's something about a crisis. When they're in a crisis, there's something about a crisis that forces us to examine our life. Forces us to look at our behaviors, look at our, some of our decisions. The third and the last step is this. It was outward. And scripture says they put on sackcloth. In other words, they were making an outward commitment to follow him. They weren't ashamed. <coughs> they weren't ashamed of God. They weren't ashamed that they needed him. All through the scriptures, when people would put on sackcloth and sit in ashes is what we see. It was a sign of, of grieving. It was a sign of humility, of sorrow, of of genuine brokenness, of genuine repentance. And so they're, they're humbling themselves to God, and, but it, it doesn't stop their crazy thing. Look what happens, verse 6. Then the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, took off the royal things, took off his credentials, in other words. It's a picture of humility. Covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat in, ash, in ashes. Listen, it started with the people. And the people changed, and they changed the government. Changed hearts, changed governments. He's showing what repentance looks like. In other words, you can't repent on the throne of your life. You have to get out of your pride. Sometimes you have to get off your throne. And so many people halfway repent, and they don't want to totally give up the throne of their life. But the king, and you see the picture of the king, he's not withholding anything. Many times when people repent, they withhold something. God, you can have this, but not that. God, you can go this far in my life, but no farther. The nature of true repentance, when you look at Scripture, there's a desperation. You say, here's all of me. I'm not going to withhold anything. I give up. I surrender. This is the greatest revival that anybody knows of. All the people repented, all the public officials, all the politicians, presidents, vice presidents, congressmen, everybody. Everybody repents. Five-word sermon, basically two points. Nineveh will be overthrown, yet you get 40 days. You know what God's saying? God's saying, guys, you deserve destruction, but I'll give you 40 days. Grace, 
I'll give you 40 days to change. In other words, we worship a God that seeks to, to forgive and he seeks to reconcile with people. It's justice and mercy. Uh, verse 7, he says, and he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let, let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Here's the amazing thing. They repented without knowing God was going to do anything. It wasn't conditional. When they repented, they didn't know if God was going to do something. They, they, they were broken. You know what they were saying? God, we just need you. We don't, we don't care how you bless us. We're not in it for that. God, we just know this. We need a relationship with you. And the, the message of Jonah, and I think Jonah's becoming maybe one of my Favorite books in the Old Testament, I never thought I would say that. But the message of Jonah is this, is there is a God who loves you. And the second part of that message, of the story of Jonah, is that God responds to humility. God responds to brokenness. Jonah at one point said, I, I would rather die than go to those people. And Jesus says, I will die, and I will go to those people because I love them. That's the God we serve. James 4, 6 says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. There is real freedom in humility, and there is real freedom in brokenness. When you get to that sackcloth and ashes stage of your life, say, God, I can't keep doing this. I can't keep living in partial obedience. I can't keep walking away from you and going through storm after storm after storm. And guess what? God will lift you up. There's a difference between brokenness and misery. Some people feel the, the heat of their sin or the heat of their consequences, and they get to the point where their life is falling apart, and they hate the consequences, they hate the, the storm, but they don't really hate their sin. You know, even though outwardly they may seem broken, they're only miserable. And they're only miserable because of the storm. But inside they, but inside they really don't want to change. And they fall real short of brokenness and repentance. In false humility, people will continue to manipulate the situation and con people around them and in their lives to try to alleviate the pain and the misery. And you can be miserable and have a desire to get well, but you can still be self-centered or self-absorbed that you never really humble yourself and surrender. See, this, this wasn't Jonah, and this wasn't the Ninevites. True brokenness or repentance always results in surrendering to God's leadership in our life in a resolve to say, you know what, I'm going to walk in a new direction. That's why Jonah completely turned. The basic meaning of, of repentance is really a military term that simply means this about faith. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of direct, a direction. Man, in other words, this, a, a person who repents turns their back on an old way of life, on an old way of doing things. And here's what happens in Nineveh after Jonah preaches this. They don't hurt Jonah. They don't ridicule Jonah. 
they don't mock Jonah. They don't make fun of Jonah. They don't ignore him. Instead, they believe God, and they humble themselves. Verse 10, when God saw what they did, when God saw their action, it can't end with prayer. I know that's weird to say in church, right? When God saw what they did, how they turned, two different pictures of repentance from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Not until there was a heart change, not until, not until there was a heart change, then there was a change in circumstances. God didn't release them just because they prayed. As they changed their ways, as they did what they did, he saved them from destruction. Maybe it's time for you to do something. Can I lovingly ask you, are you running from something? Are you running from, from God? Are you running from a decision? Are you running from a direction that God has told you to do? You know what Jonah teaches us? Running from God is not fun. Running from God is not productive. Running from God is futile, exhausting, will wear you out. It's empty. Besides, God has a desire that we would turn towards him. Romans 2.4 says, Or do you presume on the riches of, of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? It was God's kindness on Nineveh, yet 40 days, that led them to repentance. It was God's kindness on Jonah's life when he refused to do what God had called him to do. And he or the sailors threw him overboard, not knowing that he would be saved. It was God's kindness that he sent a fish, not to punish him, but to rescue him. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?